Good morning and welcome to Thursday morning, October the 12th in 2023 on When I Rise. Today we continue year A, proper week 23, which is the 20th Sunday after Pentecost. And on the Thursday of the week, I'd like to take a look at the New Testament letter passage, which comes to us from this week from the Revised Common Lectionary in this week of the church's calendar year. So we find ourselves back in the book of Philippians, getting closer to the end there. Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. So let me read that passage, provide a couple points for reflection, and then we'll spend our time praying along the theme that we find there. Thanks for making us part of your morning on When I Rise. Let's allow our souls to rise and meet God together in a time of prayer. Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Yodia, and I plead with Sintiki by the same to have the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. Whatever you've learned and received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of God for us. So it's usual about the end of Paul's letters is sometimes there's like this blocking and tackling of church life where he has some specific requests for certain people within the church. And then there's these closing remarks. And I think there's a couple things here that I really admire about this passage. Uh, the first one is, I mean, Paul is trying to help his friends get along. So you got these two folks who seem to be at war with one another. Maybe that's too strong of a word. Uh, maybe they just have a big disagreement, but it seems to be boiling over. It's you know, public enough for the rest of the house church to know. And so uh, Paul's saying, hey, it's, it's time to get along with one another. What you share in common is that we've got, we're in friendship. We've, we've contended together side by side uh, for the cause of the gospel. So let's, we've got more in common than we have in disagreement. So let's get along with one another. And so I enjoy that part of it where Paul is not just the preacher on the pedestal, but he's, he's the buddy, you know, he's got a hand on each shoulder. He's like, Hey, let's get along with one another. We've got way too much history to walk away from each other. So I think I admire that. The next thing is that um, he talks about the peace of God uh, guarding our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus in verse 7. And I love this because often when we think of peace, we think of a feeling that we have, which is great. Um, you know, pe- people when they maybe are in the midst of their turmoil or there's a lot going on, but they've got like a steady confidence or they're calm, cool-headed when uh, life is erupting all around them. We'd say, man, they've got a peaceful feeling or a person who is taking a guess about what they should do and they don't got all the evidence their scratch paper has led them so far but they're just going to walk out in faith and they say well i've got peace in my heart about it i think that's great like that's a, a feeling that we have we experience it time and time again in the faith but the peace of god here seems to be also like an activity or like a 
if I could say something, maybe a, a little a fuzzy term. It's like an energy that um, works for us. The peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, right? So uh, there's a sense where this peace is working ahead of us, and it's just like luring us towards a better way to live and a better um, set up for us as the community of God. Um, this probably dovetails with Paul's Judaism, where he had this uh, this term shalom. And shalom wasn't just, once again, the feeling that I have, but it's like this fully orbed peace where everything is put back together, right? You ever um, been through like a hard season and decisions were made and um, you felt like people all nodded in agreement after being in a time of disagreement, but you feel bonded together there's like a unity among you and there's like this big sigh of relief where you're like you're breathing out of the belly and not out of the upper chest anymore like the stress levels just is down right um what's that all about and imagine that like on a cosmic scale that is i think in a oh just just a real basic way how uh, the Jews imagine God's work in the world. And so Paul's saying here, like, there's like a, there's like, like, just like wisdom is sometimes personified so that we could talk about it. I think peace, we're getting closer to like personifying peace, something that's got like actions to it so that we can observe it in our lives. And so Paul is asking for the peace of Christ to uh, guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus. And then last but not least, I love this uh, summary statement in verses, I guess it's just verse eight. And then I'll make one more observation in verse 9. But in verse 8, I'll call this like the whatever, the whatever statement, right? Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, and so on and so forth. But like what Paul does here, Paul is um, he's allowing some uh, vagueness to enter into uh, the Christian practice. Okay, I think oftentimes we think about religion, we think of like finer points of doctrine, where there's like these reams and reams of paper that are used and ink is spilt to like, you know, define exactly who God is and who the people of God is and how prayer is supposed to work and um, how we're supposed to evangelize and, you know, share the gospel to the world around us. And like all these forms and there's these strategies and all those things are fine. What I think what Paul does here, and I think this plays in the context that he's writing to be reminded once again, Philippi was way outside of Palestine and because of that, didn't really have synagogues, just had like a place of prayer where they were conducting those early meetings. And so Paul can't use, well, Moses told us this and Isaiah told us this. And uh, this is in the waning parts of Deuteronomy. No, he's he's got to give a spirituality that's uh, way more broad than if he was an apostle to the Jews. Since he's an apostle to the Gentiles that don't have all that context, he's like, well, how can I put the life of Christ a Christian believer in the everyday. And so he makes this wager. He's like, you know, whatever is true. And he's not putting an asterisk by it. Like whatever is true according to the major Christian thinker out there. But whatever's like truth is a broad category here. Whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure and lovely and so on and so forth. That's why like I think Christians have engaged with culture instead of uh, tried to abstain from wider culture. There's just a sect of Christianity that says, you know what, if I think all truth is God's truth, wherever it might be found, therefore we've got this great adventure to go into God's creation and there's going to be truth all over the place. There's going to be praiseworthy things all over the place. There's going to be nobility all over the place. And it may not come from a Christian university, right? It may not come from the preacher down the road, but it might come up in the middle of a song on in Top 40 radio. Like it actually might come up 
um, in a general population nonfiction book about leadership. The next thing you know, like you're reading it and something's got the hum of the holy in the middle of the paragraph. You're going, wow, that reminds me of the teaching of Jesus. I think that's what Paul's doing. He's just giving a big lens like, hey, engage the world and you're going to get close to Christ. You're going to find Christ next door to those things or within those things that are true and noble and right and admirable and excellent, praiseworthy, and so on and so forth. So he gives this broader vision of spirituality uh, because if Christ is the head of all things, right, like the head of a river, like all flows to and from Jesus Christ, then we should not be surprised that when we wandered outside the boundaries of the church parking lot, that we might actually bump into stuff where Jesus is also involved and therefore we got to keep our minds on and our eyes open. And then last but not least, Paul says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. This is the main form of how people were uh, were developed in their faith. It was through mimesis or through mim- mimicking leaders and elders in their church. Now, no one claimed to be perfect, but there were people who were mature. And then this is the categories used in the New Testament, mature and not mature. Uh, there's parts of the New Testament say, you know, I, I want to feed you this, you know, denser meal of truth and knowledge and understanding. But it seems like in your faith development, like you still need the milk of the faith in order to kind of strengthen you now. And then the, we'll like kind of put this stuff on your plate later in life, right? So there's like this maturity and immaturity. It's not meant to be a diss. It's not meant to be like these people are getting dunked on. But uh, some folks are just not ready. And there's it's a lifelong journey of faith, right? And so how the church uh, grew new believers is that they would just allow them to learn from other people uh, in other places twice, actually. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. He's not saying, I am Christ, so follow me. He's just saying, I've learned something, and I think you'll pick up on Christ. If you stay close to me, you'll probably stay close to Christ in some other areas. Uh, this is not hatching some codependency upon leaders in the church, but this is simply, this the, the I guess, just a common reality of we tend to absorb from the experience of others that we admire. And so Paul says, whatever you have admired within me, put into practice and you'll grow in your faith in Christ. So there's a lot going on here in these final stanzas of this letter to the church in Philippi. It has to do with reconciliation of friends, about uh, some common steps for spirituality, um, about having the peace of Christ, this activity at work in our midst, and also giving ourselves to community so that we can learn from one another. As Paul says in another location, so that we can be mutually encouraged in the faith, right? So that's the importance of Christian relationship is that we learn to grow in our faith by watching and observing and mimicking the way of others. So with those things in mind, let's spend some time praying to our God this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for the divine community where we get to be in relationship with you. God three in one. And we also thank you for the relationship that we have with our ancient ancient tradition. We get these ancient words from Paul, from Moses, and all others that are located in the text. And so we thank you that there's been this conversation of how to know and to follow God and how to make God known in the earth. And so we turn to you once more and we allow our souls to rise to meet you. And we say with one voice that we want to be followers of Jesus. Uh, we adore you, Jesus, and we want to be empowered to be your people. 
Uh, we confess to you that um, like the situation in Philippi, we could be at odds with somebody, someone that we were tight friends with before. And so give us the grace to repair that relationship. God, for those of us who live in unrest, we seek the peace of Christ, which can guard our hearts and our minds. And we pray that you would speak to us. We'd sense there would be a guard and a standard between us and our issues and that we might be able to get reprieve from all the pressure of this day. God, we thank you for uh, the way in which we can engage the world without fear. We can go out there outside the church walls, outside of our Christian ghettos, it's been called, and know that we are in the care of our God and that uh, we could be on mission with you. And so God, as we go from place to place today, schools, workplaces, and the like, uh, we just simply pray that your presence would linger with us. And and God, we do thank you for the guides you've given us in the life of faith. Those who've taught us, those who've strengthened us, those who've set a word in season that helped us to change our direction, or that that uh, gave us great consolation and hope, that helped us to make peace with our past and to gain footing for the present and aim our new futures. And so God, for every guide that helped us along the way, we pray that you'd return to them all that they've graciously given to us. So God, this day we put, place our lives in your hands once more. We pray that you'd fill our lives that you do wonderful and marvelous things in front of us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.